Ladies and gentlemen, greetings and thank you for listening. My name is Jeff Kappen, joined today by co-host John Economos, and it is our pleasure to welcome you to another episode of Baton Salon, brought to you by the international consultants at Baton Global. If you are a new listener, we think of this podcast as a continuation of the Enlightenment-era gatherings across Europe, which featured thoughtful conversation, reasoned debate, and the refinement of ideas. We hope that our salon will assist in community leaders as they face important decisions during turbulent times. Joining us today from Orlando, it is our pleasure to host Todd Shaw, a seasoned leader in the area of human resources and technology, with whom we're going to discuss the accelerating trends in virtual work and their implications for culture and leadership within organizations. Our recent poll here in our headquarters city, Des Moines, found that only about a quarter of businesses have returned to their physical locations. So we believe our topic today is of vital interest to many organizations here and around the world. As always, we hope to have an interactive and engaging conversation with those of you who are listening to the live recording. Please post your questions below in the chat box while we are talking, and we'll address as many of them as we can. With that, to get us started, I'm going to pass the baton over to Todd, who will share a bit more about his background and then share some opening thoughts. Todd? Hey, thanks, Jeff. It's a pretty high standard to live up to, but uh, we'll do our best today. I know many organizations have been really gracious these past few months with uh, sharing knowledge through forums like this. And uh, whenever I participate in those, I, I like to get a couple of things out of it. One is a useful idea or two to apply and an opportunity to ask some questions that are on my mind. So hopefully we'll do both of those today. I should just briefly introduce myself and why I'm part of the subject. My, uh, my whole career has been in uh, primarily in technology and, and in financial services with a couple of exceptions. A couple of the companies you'd recognize that I work for, uh, Bank of America, where I worked for several years, and uh, PayPal, Verifone, the payments company that makes those machines. We all put our credit card in back when we used to go to the store all the time. And then the last couple of years, I've been uh, doing consulting work as an independent consultant, but have continued to work with similar companies. So enterprise software companies, payment companies. So my background uh, that I bring to the discussion today is pretty heavily in software, in uh, FinTech and in financial services. Through that, uh, have always been uh, in the human resources function and in human resources uh, leadership roles. I've been the chief uh, HR officer for a couple of companies and have had the opportunity to uh, do some really cool uh, jobs along the way. So that's what I, I bring to the, to the discussion. But I want to get started by seeing where people who are joining here this morning or, or wherever you may be, uh, where you're coming from on this subject. So I want to get interactive here right up front. And I'd like to use the chat window and have you all uh, input the answer to this question. Uh, I'd like to know before the pandemic, so before, you know, maybe think about 2019, uh, what percent of your workforce work from home or our outside of an office most of the time and two years from now? So in the summer of 2022, what percentage of your workforce do you project will work outside of the office most of the time? So I've got, I see one less than 15% before could be greater than 50%. So pretty big jump in that example. I've talked to, uh, as, as y'all are thinking about it and typing it in, I mean, I've talked to a lot of 
HR leaders at particularly a lot of tech companies that are talking about, let's say maybe a third of their workforce uh, was always working outside of the office, sales people, uh, implement software implementation people, uh, but thinking maybe they're gonna double that in a couple of years. So 2019, 13% work remote, uh, including field force. 2021, 15, 20%, so more modest, more modest increase in that example. The university example uh, at, at Drake, yeah, back to back to 80%. So probably back to something not too far off of, of 2019. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that when you really press on this question and, and see how far people want to take this virtual work opportunity, there is quite a bit of a variance in, in what that answer is for people. And of course, it's going to depend on your industry. But even in the kind of industries that I've spent a lot of time in, you see some degree of variation. And you certainly see big public comments like Jack Dorsey at Twitter coming out and saying, hey, like y'all could just work from home permanently forever. So going from whatever percent they were before to 100%. Again, I've talked to a lot of, of technology companies, fintech companies that, that maybe were around a third of their workforce, mostly working from home and are thinking about jumping to something more like two thirds, so almost doubling, which would, be, which would be a pretty big jump. I'm gonna share some thoughts about it and then we're gonna come back to another set of questions in a few minutes. So I, I think for a lot of companies, uh, certainly in my network, and, and it's, I've got I've had access to you know, probably 150 different companies and a few groups that I belong to, this sudden shift that, that we've experienced of having a large part of the workforce being virtual has gone quite well for a lot of companies. Uh, in the US, we're obviously only a couple months into that experience. It seems like a lot longer, but you know, it's only been uh, a couple of months, two and a half months. But the success has companies, I know, thinking about future opportunities for virtual work. And I think the possibilities are really exciting, uh, but I also think there's gonna be really significant cultural and leadership change that some haven't fully grasped yet as they think about what that future looks like. Yeah, you know, the companies that, that I've, the people that I've talked to, uh, is if you see success with this force or a forced large scale virtual work experiment, leaders start imagining being freed from location constraints. Hey, I can recruit anywhere. And gosh, maybe that will suddenly fill all of my talent gaps maybe even at a lower cost if I'm operating uh, on the coast. Hey, I can reduce my real estate portfolio and save some money there, wouldn't that be great? And, and if I'm listening to employees, I'm also hearing, hey, there's some portion of them that really like this, this new or uh, new to them opportunity to work from home. So maybe that will be an attractive part of my value proposition. So a lot of people getting really excited about it. Now, I'm not going to try to cover today uh, best practices for managing virtual teams because I think there's plenty of research about that. And most of you probably even have great practices inside of your own company. But again, I do think that this issue of, of the degree of culture and leadership change hasn't been sufficiently covered in some of the recent discussions I've participated in 
about what this post-pandemic virtual work world might be like. And in particular, I've been thinking about how there have been, if you think about it, very expansive visions of massive virtual work that have been put forth over the last couple of decades. So if you've, if you've been around as long as I have, you, you'll, you will remember a lot of that, that, that over many, many years, there's been a lot of speculation about a huge expansion of virtual work. There's also been great advances in collaboration technology, internet connectivity and bandwidth. Yet you still see a lot of companies still running big parts of their operations from office uh, complexes. There are notable exceptions to that. Look around and you see lots of growth in office space in the last several years. Look at Des Moines where Baton Global is based. In the last couple of decades, there have been significant uh, facilities built for in-office work. Ironically, some of the same work that companies have recently been forced to conduct virtually and get out of those offices. So I think we have to go far beyond these recent operational results of sort of forced virtual work during a pandemic to understand what are the forces at play that have kept us heavily office-based. Why do we keep building new office buildings? Why do we keep having people uh, come into office buildings uh, to conduct their work? And I think understanding what those forces are will help us build an effective change plan for those who want to capture and sustain an expansion of uh, a virtual work over a longer period of time. So let's come to a couple of questions about that. So, Again, this, is, this, this has been out there for a long time, and I, I pulled a great book off of my bookshelf um, nearly 20 years ago. Uh, a woman named Cynthia Froggett made a bit of a splash amongst people who were considering virtual work for their companies with her book, uh, book called Work Naked. And early in the book, almost 20 years ago, she posed this question of what was standing in the way of utilizing more virtual work strategies. Uh, so these are designed to be true or false. So I'm gonna ask a question and I'd like you to just type into the chat box. Is it true that people in your company would say this, at least some people, or is it false? So here you go. The more time you spend at the office, the better your chances for promotion. True or false? Would people in your company, your organization say that? The more time you spend at the office, the better your chances for promotion. Most places, true, true, true. Before COVID, true. Depends on position, interesting. Okay, let me uh, ask a few more. Face-to-face -face interaction is the only real way to build and maintain relationships at work. Would people in your company say that's true or false? Face-to-face -face interaction, only real way, way to build and maintain relationships at work. Ah, okay. So times change, everybody's saying false. Great, I think that's good news. Third question, call in the office from your backyard when you're working from home for the day means you must be goofing off. True or false? So I see one false. Call in the office from your backyard when you're working from home for the day it must mean you're goofing off. Everybody's saying false now. Interesting. Okay. If workers were not surrounded by colleagues in management, they'd goof off. Would your leaders say that, true or false? 
If workers were not surrounded by colleagues and management, they'd goof off. What do your leaders think, true or false? <laughs> Unfortunately, some recent stories true. Okay, one last question. Um, requesting authorization to work from home one or two days a week when, when you normally work in the office is proof that you are not serious about your job. True or false? So again, a little bit of a mixed opinion here. Well, it's interesting. I think true before COVID, yeah. It's interesting. And, and COVID, this, this pandemic may change things, but they may not. I'll tell you what, I've seen uh, plenty of leaders at supposedly enlightened tech companies that would still say true to all of these statements. Uh, and even when they think ahead to 2022, when they think past this moment that we're, that we're in of a pandemic and a crisis, and they think ahead, maybe I'm a little bit more uh, jaded and the, the people that called in are, are in more enlightened organizations. But I think um, what's important is to really, really test these kind of questions particularly with leaders in the company, if your companies are really going to plan to make a huge leap in the percentage of, of virtual work that happens. I just think these questions show that there's more to capturing not this opportunity than simply taking the existing routines and moving them into an online or virtual world. Um, I, I believe uh, aspects of Corporate culture are going to have to change. A lot of leaders I've worked with are going to have to change. And of course, you have to change some of the specifics of how you work. I think that's a lot of change. If you're, again, to go back to, we saw some variety here in terms of the people participating this morning about the amount of, of change in virtual work. A lot of these companies I've been talking with that are thinking of like doubling the percentage of their workforce that's working virtually. I think there's gonna be a lot of change. And again, the easy part are the tactics of managing virtual teams because there's plenty to find to help you with that. But I do think that there are some subtle challenges in culture and leadership that are gonna to have to be addressed to make that work really well. So um, I'm gonna stop my uh, sharing of opinion for a minute and. Jeff, I know we wanted to shift to a little bit more questions and see if we can get some more dialogue going with, uh, with the group that's on as well. Yeah, thank you, Todd. Before we, I, I know culture and leadership are what we teed up and I, we're gonna go there in a second, but before we do that, you mentioned forces that, are, that drew people into the office. Thoughts on what those are and have they fundamentally changed once if there is hopefully soon a vaccine or immunity do those forces go away or to what extent do you think we've, we will quickly settle into a more virtual environment and that will just be what we do? Look, I think I'm, I'm sure the answer varies by company and by culture and, and you know, based on the answer to the, the five questions, it sounds like we've got a, a pretty enlightened group of companies here this morning. But I do, I do believe there are a few things. One is, if you think about that question about FaceTime at the office and how you get promoted, how you get ahead, question is, is designed to go right to the heart of what sort of scientifically is corporate culture. And corporate culture ultimately becomes about the assumptions that people make 
about how do you survive and how do you get ahead in, in an organization. And those assumptions you, you, you pick up over time from cues that you see about what works for people and what doesn't and who gets ahead and who doesn't. And you sort of absorb all those, all those cues and then those just become implicit assumptions that you have about how things work at the company. Promotion is definitely uh, one of those. And so I think that it takes a lot of time for those assumptions to change. So while I think we're all, we're feeling right now like, hey, this, this quick virtual work from home thing has worked really well during the pandemic. My belief is that if we do see uh, a time soon when we all come back to the office, we're very likely to just sort of revert back to all those same assumptions that we had before about how do you get ahead. And I think in a lot of companies, uh, some of these questions that we posed are still going to be issues. They're still lurking out there. The other thing from a leadership standpoint, Jeff, is I still, like I said, I know a lot of leaders who are still occasionally giving in to the urge to try to judge productivity or commitment by how many cars are in the parking lot at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. Those habits also don't just go away overnight. Those are things that a lot of leaders have, are, are habits that are ingrained in them, and they'll have to learn uh, if they want to have a big uh, virtual workforce, uh, how, to, how to change uh, those assumptions and how they change how they're going to judge uh, whether things are working well or not. Yeah, that's that's good stuff there, Todd. I'm going to chime in here and, and ask you to maybe speak a little bit more on the, the overall culture piece for a minute and, and also just wanted to take a moment to encourage everybody to throw some questions if you have them in the chat box. Love to get some some additional dialogue going here. But Todd, I think those true or false questions do a really nice job at demonstrating the the potential uphill battle that a lot of organizations face in their pursuits of of sustaining longer term virtual work benefits. You've you made a good point a minute ago about, you know, yes, there's been some short term kind of operational wins. Gosh, I was just talking to a colleague of mine, works at a, a Fortune 250 company with uh, who shared an example of their accounting folks, you know, with the, the typical hustle and bustle of quarter end and a little bit of, of anxiousness and uncertainty about, gosh, are, are we gonna be able to do this, um, you know, remotely? And in fact, kind of what he was sharing with me the other day was that that went really well. They, they figured it out, they, they adapted and, and they checked that box of like, okay, that's a, that's a short term win. And I think what we're hearing you uh, start to describe a little bit this morning is that, yes, those are, th there's many examples that we've heard about just like that. And yet in the long run, other things will start to come into play. And I, I think, you know, where you were going there a minute ago was kind of the, the leadership um, styles and the cultural uh, aspects of an organization that, um, you know, the traits, the, the behaviors, the assumptions uh, that, that are encouraged and kind of rewarded um, but of course, culture is, is nebulous. It can be difficult to change. It can be, I kind of think of it like a, a cruise ship, you know, that's kind of slow to start moving. And yet once it, once it's going, it's, it's hard to make quick, you know, left or right turns. So curious, you know, what you would say to, to what, what has to change culturally 
and and how do organizations go about you know making those left or right turns albeit you know maybe if they're not very abrupt but but what would you say to to kind of that that question of of cultural change to really take advantage of the potential benefits in the long run i i think it is true that what we've experienced the last few months is going to be a great assist with changing uh, to allow much more virtual and, and flexible work. So I think there's no doubt that that's the case. But if I was a CHRO or I was a, an executive in a company, I think my message here is just that your change plan has to be mindful of making sure that some of the, some people don't fall back on the old behaviors because just a few months of operating this way, even though it's an accelerator and, and, and I think it's exciting, it may be easy when we all return back to the office uh, to just sort of go back to the way that we were that we were working before. So I think there's let me give some more specifics. You know, back to the to the the sort of oversimplified definition of culture I gave that you you know you pick up a lot of the assumptions about what works in an organization just by observing and and participating and over time sort of subconsciously form this view of what works and how do you survive and and how do you get ahead and if you're used to working in, in an office then you have the advantage of picking up those cues in a real high fidelity way right because you're around people you get a see their body language, you get to overhear conversations, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things that, that to some degree we don't even realize we're doing, but we're, we're, we're taking in what's happening in the environment and how people are interacting. And if that's what you're used to, or if you're a manager that's used to working that way, and then you decide, okay, I'm gonna take that entire team and we're just gonna permanently become virtual, you have to then plan for what are the ways that you're going to teach the specifics of those behaviors, those norms, how you want people interacting, because now you're going to have to do that in a virtual way. And you're going to have to do that without the, the higher fidelity cues that you pick up from being in the, in the office environment. A, a real specific example of that is think about just how how we manage performance the basic of managing the basics of managing performance you know normally we're used to we tell people what to do but leaders and managers aren't always so great at talking about how to do it but if you're used to working in an office environment and there's all kinds of people easily accessible again you sort of pick up like how should you go about doing it what are the norms and behaviors but if you can't see that and you're always working from home and your team is always working from home, then as a leader, you've got to do a lot better job of teaching people how do you want them to go about it? What are the behaviors that you want people to use as, as they operate and do their job? Do it in that virtual environment. So those are things that are they're very doable, but they just require effort, right? They require effort. And, they, and, and it needs to be part of your plan if you're going to make a, a big jump in permanent uh, working from home rather than just sort of returning back to the office the way it was before. Mm, absolutely. We have a good uh, question here 
for you, Todd, from uh, Judy. And it's, it's a cent centered on, on culture and, and loyalty, actually, and the impact that virtual work is having on those two pieces. You know, will the culture be diluted? Will loyalty be reduced? You know, would it, would it be even easier to leave a company that you've never built in-person relationships with? Thanks for that question, Judy. I think that's a really good one. So Ty, yeah, curious what your response uh, to that would be. You know, what jumps off the page to me when I think about that is, gosh, yeah, that that does seem to be a higher risk moving forward. Uh, curious, Todd, Jeff, uh, what your guys' thoughts would be? Yeah, it's a, it's a hey, it's a great question. And I, if if I was sitting in the seat of a CHRO right now or a senior executive, I would have very much the same worry, particularly again, if, if, if I was in an organization that was used to having people physically together and, and that was the way that, that we sort of put our arms around people. I think the good news is there are a couple of things. One is there are plenty of companies that have done this. And I, I chose not to try to bring in a bunch of detailed examples because I think it's, it's easy to find those in and read about those, but there are plenty of companies where the vast majority of their people uh, operate in a, in a virtual environment and they've been able to be very successful doing that. So I'm actually, despite sort of my, my warning here about work on culture, work on leadership, I'm very optimistic that it's very possible to do this and do it successfully. I do think that part of the answer to that question though goes back to really working hard on everything about culture. You know, I just saw um, Josh Levine, he was just published a new book, um, just saw him talk yesterday and did a really nice job of, of trying to lay out a simple format for, uh, I think his book's called Great Mondays. And he did a nice job of laying out what's the, the, the map you need to think about for your work plan around taking the culture where you need to take it and what do you need to what are the components that you need to be thinking about in your culture if you're going to plan for a big shift in how people are working like again if you're like double the number of people that are working virtually you know building into your plan how are you going to keep people connected with the greater purpose of the company it's easier to do that in in an office environment where you can have you know, posters and meetings and rallies and all kinds of fun stuff. If, if you go to a really large percentage of your workforce being virtual, then you have to give leaders slightly different tools and teach them slightly different ways of how do you keep your, your virtual team connected to the greater purpose of the company. And by greater purpose, I mean the purpose beyond just, you know, making money and being profitable. In that culture map, you have to think about what are the what are the cues that that you create for people to uh, know what the right behaviors are. And again, those cues are going to have to be different if you're heavily virtual versus in an office environment. If you've got most of your people in an office environment, your recognition programs uh, may need to change in in some shape or form because um, you're going to use those recognition programs to reinforce the behaviors you want in your culture. You might need to make some tweaks to your recognition programs if you have a massive uh, virtual shift. 
so that you can accommodate that. So I could go on and on, but those would be some of the specific examples of the, the, the work plan you need to have around how do you evolve your, your culture and all the things you do to shape your culture in order to make it effective in a much more heavily virtual environment. Todd, do you have any concerns as we think about planning these shifts and things that are going to change that, say you're an organization, you end up 50-50, you know, a a year or two from now, 50 are at home, 50 are coming to the office. Ways to avoid, from things you've seen, uh, and I know you have multinational experience, sort of the, we're the clan that works in the office and you're the clan that works at home. And well, you have a better recognition system than I do. And it turns out the bosses are more comfortable leading in person. So those employees, you know, get some favors because maybe they're there and that's just the way, you know, the leaders have worked their entire careers. Uh, Thoughts on how to mitigate that us them potential between the virtual and in-person workforces. Without being super detailed about it, I'll, I'll I'll probably sound a little bit repetitive in the sense that I think you have to you have to do a lot of work with leaders if you're going to make that shift to teach them how to be inclusive of uh, people who are are choosing or you've let them choose these different work uh, styles. You know the the, the techniques that you're going to use in managing day to day and week to week around how to be inclusive of those people, how to, how to recognize people, you know, sort of equally, so to speak, whether they're working virtually or not working virtually. As a leader, how to structure your time so that you are connecting with direct reports who are working virtually as effectively as you're connecting with direct reports who are working in the office. So I think there's just a lot of the simplistic answers, there's a lot of detailed work around how to teach leaders how to interact with their people, how to include all their people. And again, I think there's there's good examples of that, plenty of examples of that that, that exist out in the world of companies that are already uh, heavily virtual and how that works. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that it's that it's doable, but if it's if it's new to your company, and, and you have the kind of challenge that you just described in your question, then you've just, you've got to own up to that. You got to talk about it and you got to work on it and you've, and you've got to do the work with your leaders to help them operate in that new environment. Yeah, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, the companies that have done this successfully, were they, as you, you know, without going way deep into examples, were they born virtual, born networked kind of organizations where the culture was predisposed on this is going to be the way it is? And I, I suspect that companies that have been for a hundred years in the office that suddenly switch virtual, they're the ones that are probably going to struggle a little bit more in terms of what it is that they want to accomplish and how they get there over time. Hi. I think that's very true, Jeff. I think the yeah the the examples that that come to my mind uh, tend to be younger companies. They tend to be uh, either software companies or or professional services companies, with, with some exceptions. But the ones that are coming to my mind are I- exactly what you're saying, and so they have that advantage. Of, that's just been. Um, their leadership's choice uh, from from an early day, and and so that, that that's worked really well. So yeah, I think 
this the, this sort of uh, push, this hard push that I'm that, that I'm making uh, for for a lot of companies who don't have that advantage. It's going to be a bigger lift. It's going to be a bigger change again if your plan is to really dramatically increase the amount of virtual work that you have and. And I do, by the way, I think, I think it's a great opportunity. I want to repeat, I, I do encourage people to explore that. You know, we saw in, the, in my very first question, some variation in some companies that, that two years out weren't really thinking about, about it being that different. Um, I do think these advantages of thinking about being able to expand your, your, your talent pool that you're recruiting in, uh, by having more jobs virtual, the advantages around real estate cost. I mean, there, there are some very real advantages to thinking about going to a much larger portion of your workforce being virtual. So I think, I think it's, it's important to explore. All right. I think we have a question from the audience. Matthew, I think you're up. So, um, you know, working with, with clients, uh, especially in this area, you know, we, we'd love to attract these these folks out of Facebook um, that are that are coming back into this community. We have a great quality of life. We have a low cost of living, and and as folks think about relocating from urban areas, that's that's something that we're trying to do. You know, we're saying talent is hitting the street. We expect to to have some opportunities to to attract and retain and hire you know, good talent and, and with increased mobility, you know, they, they may choose other places other than, than urban centers. So I, I guess my question is this, is, you know, with your focus on, on culture, there, there is a quick fix in some ways, you know, culture is a, a generational investment. It does, it's a, you know, the Titanic that, that John was mentioning, but, but there is a quick fix and, and some of it is, is, is attracting and retaining, you know, new talent to, to shock a culture into change and to, to accelerate that change by bringing in new blood, especially for smaller organizations. But, but I guess, how do you balance that with the, the investment in, in existing employees that, that may have grown up um, in, a, in a fundamentally different system? And so um, there's, there are gonna be some disruptions. There are gonna be some, some challenges to, to balance this new wave, this new way of doing things, attracting and retaining new talent, you know, matching energy with energy to, to upskill and to train other folks into new ways of, of thinking and doing. So that's a, that's a long and hairy question, but thoughts about, do you welcome in a new generation of talent and, and do you just have to wait for the culture to change? Um, or do you, do you try to match energy with energy and, and try to upskill uh, those folks? Or, and I, I suppose the answer is both, but then how do you do that? Look, I think I think a couple of things. I think um, uh, smart companies need to welcome anybody and everybody, uh, regardless of of their their age or where they're from or, or whatever. You know, everybody who's interested in the purpose and the mission and has great skill and and you know wants to come in and do great stuff. Um, smart companies should welcome all of that, and and I think that. I think that generally absent the topic that we have today around, you know, pandemic and virtual work and all of that. The other thing I think that, that your question makes me think of Matthew is I've seen, I've seen, uh, I won't name companies, but I've definitely seen in my past 
efforts to acquire teams with the belief that they would somehow change the, 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 the broader cultural norms and, and behaviors and assumptions. And I've seen it kind of work and I've seen it fail. Mm -hmm. And when it really works is, is when the top leadership at the company um, is really reinforcing through cues and recognition and all the other things we talked about earlier, they're reinforcing that, hey, that team who happens to be a team we acquired, that team is doing it the way we want it done. They're producing great results and really reinforcing that. If you don't have senior leaders doing that as part of a conscious effort to mold the culture, then those people that you brought in to be, you know, culture change agents, uh, I've seen them fizzle out because they're trying to do their thing in, in a different way. But the, the, whole, the culture around them and the leaders above them aren't really supporting and reinforcing that. So Todd, that's actually a perfect segue to our, our last question here from Tyler. He asked, how, how would you suggest advocating for remote work to leadership above you or even, you know, peers of a leadership team beyond, you know, the COVID-19 disruptions? So are there, are there mechanisms, Tyler's asking, or, or metrics that could be used to illustrate productivity? Look, I think it's easy. The, the, the pitch right now is easy, right? Again, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, and I've seen plenty of leaders at plenty of companies get excited about this. I can recruit people anywhere. And, you know, particularly if I'm like based in New York City or San Francisco or something like that, um, hey, if, if we open this up to more virtual work and we're not so worried about which office location, I can find people in Des Moines or Cedar Rapids or anywhere in the in the world for that matter and have them do great work for us and that's going to solve all of our talent gaps. That's an easy pitch to senior leaders. The whole pitch around real estate, it's just it's you know the financial benefit of I can cut down our real estate portfolio and all the costs associated with that. I've seen lots of companies during the pandemic are you know using employee survey platforms to test, you know, it's self-reported and maybe it's not scientific, but testing what kind of productivity people are reporting as they shift from working in the office to working from home. And even those simple self-reported productivity uh, change metrics in a lot of companies I've talked to are proving out to be super positive. So you've got at least this initial, you know, it's a little loose, but it's data. And it's data that says employees are reporting that 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 for the most part, for the vast majority, there's actually been this positive impact on productivity by being forced to, to suddenly work from home. So if you could show if you could show that kind of productivity data, the potential for cost savings, the potential for finding talent in more places to fulfill your needs, I think all of those are easy pitches to leadership in a company to say, hey. We, if, if we're not already seriously exploring a, a big change in our, our virtual work uh, footprint, we should at least be looking at it because there's very tangible reasons to look at it. 
Thank you, Todd. Uh, incredibly, we've already come up at the end of our scheduled time today. I feel like we could probably go until lunch. And I, I think that we've heard a lot of urging and bits of wisdom on from you about ensuring that organizations modify their culture, leadership styles, and take advantage of what virtual and remote work uh, offers organizations after the pandemic experience. Before we close today, I'll, I'll sort of open the floor if you have any other uh, bits of wisdom or uh, hints you'd like to share with the audience uh, before we close. Well, I would just say, uh, I, you know, this is a very, very much a, a real-time work in progress, right? This is, this is a real-time shift, a real-time opportunity uh, that's presented by this pandemic crisis in front of us. So because it's real-time, like, I'd love to hear more from, from people. I'd, I'd be happy to, you know, look me up on LinkedIn, connect. I'd, I'd love to continue to hear the dialogue, see if I can help anybody, see if I can learn uh, from people out there as well. So it, it'd be great to, to uh, hear more stories as, as we proceed forward with what we're learning from the situation. Excellent. Thank you. I think we always hope the salon uh, starts dialogues and that the conversations continue well past our time together this morning. Thank you everyone for attending and participating with us today in our Bataan Salon. A recording of this episode will be posted on our website, batonglobal.com, and will be available on whichever platform you prefer for getting podcasts. If you have ideas for a future topic, please drop us a note on the website. Follow us on social media for upcoming episode topics. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and have a great weekend. Goodbye.